Well, please take up your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John and chapter 1, the first letter of John and chapter 1. We're on page 1210, 1210 of the Church Bibles. We've just got a short reading this evening, the first four verses of the book. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Well, do keep that open in front of you and we're going to pray and ask God to help us now. Father, we do long for your help. We want to be encouraged and built up and pointed in the right direction. We want to be prepared for the week ahead. You know our particular needs and we ask that you'd speak to us even now. For your glory's sake we ask. Amen. So this evening we're going to talk about Jesus. And I wonder how you react to that. Is that a subject you want more of? Or or maybe you were secretly hoping for uh, a self-help talk or a sermon on a more modern subject, perhaps a more controversial subject. Today we're going to talk about Jesus. I wonder if we started the talk that way in a secular setting, what the reaction would be if we were in a lecture hall or a, a reading group amongst secular friends. Perhaps there'd be groans, perhaps there'd be some nervousness, you know. Uh, but the writer of this letter is determined to start with Jesus and to keep speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 2 and 3, he, he says he's going to proclaim about this he's going to announce he's going to bring the news about this person and so we get more about Jesus he's going to bring the news the news I guess we react to the news in different ways depending on what the news is some news is far away from us pretty much outside of our experience but it's so important we still want to listen so carefully you remember the first days uh, of the Ukraine war or just before when they weren't sure whether there was going to be an invasion or not Uh, and Russia's forces are are gathering at the border will they won't they and you listen to the news you with with some apprehension some horror and you wait to see what's going to happen other news is very close to home and it really impacts us and so we listen with a kind of a different feeling we're thinking what's going to happen how would that affect me my family You remember at the start of the COVID pandemic, I I would go in in the morning, turn the radio on quite quickly. What were the government going to announce today? Would there be a lockdown? What would that mean for me, for my children? What would happen to school? What would happen to church? And and you want to know the news because it's so impactful right now. Other news we kind of are not so invested in. 
In fact, even news that we began to listen to with a certain kind of attentiveness can become too familiar, too often heard. It almost becomes background noise. Even the war in Ukraine, every day for a year, you almost begin to tune it out, shamefully. It seems so far away. What about the news about Jesus? What kind of news is that to you? Is there even a danger of tuning it out? Is it, well, we know it's important, so we want to listen, but it doesn't really affect me? Or do we realise that this is something about us, something we need to hear? So we're going to think about three aspects of the news that the writer is proclaiming about Jesus. And here's the first one. It's big news. You know, um, there's news about all sorts of people in the world. Sometimes it's a, a person who gets their 15 minutes of fame. They're not a particularly important person. You'll never hear of them again. Uh, sometimes they're celebrities and they make the news every now and again. Sometimes it's a, a president or a prime minister. They're really important. But Jesus, this news is on a different scale altogether. You know, when he was on earth, that word of mouth, people heard about him. You know, they heard about what he'd done with the, the water, the wine. And, and someone would be saying to another, you know, he healed my brother. They'd actually be spreading the news this way. People would be listening and thinking, who is this? 5,000 people fed in one go from a few loaves and some fish. They, they would have told one another about this. But the writer doesn't focus on proclaiming that kind of news here. He, he works on a, a grander historical scale almost. He talks about the very, the very nature of this person. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, the pre-existent one. Verse 2, he goes on to call him the eternal life who was with the Father. Again, we're not, we're not talking about just the things he did on earth in that short span of time, but we're now spreading out across history from everlasting to everlasting. This is kind of mind-blowing stuff, isn't it? At our children's group, uh, Good News Club, we, we often have a question and answer session. You know, every term or so, we, we kind of get the children to ask us questions. We do it with our teenagers too sometimes. And this question often comes up. The same question. How can God have no beginning? From everlasting to everlasting, it's, it's really hard to comprehend. Everything we know has been, been made. It comes from somewhere. It has a, a start. Okay, but if everything has a start, what about the very first thing? Who made that? Who caused that? How did it come to be? Who, who is the maker? Well, you go back and you think, well, who made that? And you continue to go back and back and back. You have to keep asking that question. When did that start? Who made that? Until you actually end up thinking something or someone must be eternal. The first cause. And John says, he is the one we're proclaiming to you. Jesus. He is the one from everlasting to everlasting. So as we were thinking about this morning, we are to worship him. We are to glorify him. It's kind of strange, isn't it? He's not just a prophet. If you try to glorify any other prophet, they'll rip their robes and say, no, not me. The Lord, the Lord. But Jesus accepts the glory. He shared glory with the Father from before the world began. 
that which was from the beginning. And again, it makes us think of Genesis 1. It makes us think of John chapter 1 as we were reading this morning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And as you read this opening to 1 John, it's not just those words in the beginning, but it's the whole kind of feel of it. It's almost poetic. The whole letter, in fact, is quite different to many other letters in the New Testament. Many other letters, you get a list of instructions and a a sustained argument, this, therefore, this, therefore, this. But with John, it it feels different. You can can hear a a poetry to the style. It's not a linear argument. Instead, someone said it was more like a symphony. One John, more like a symphony, a piece of orchestral music where a theme is introduced and you circle back to the theme later on, it's repeated with with a variation, it's developed. So as you read one John, you'll find it to be very different to other letters in the New Testament. May I recommend that you read it in paragraphs. Think, what does this paragraph say? What does that paragraph say? The, The joins, they're there, but they're not always so obvious as in other letters. Look for the themes that are repeated and returned to later on. The writer is determined to proclaim this everlasting one, the one who is the word of life. Word, yes, that brings us back to John's gospel again, the the self-communication of God, the very expression of who God is, the word, but also the word of life, verse 1, the eternal life, verse 2. It's a theme that comes up. In John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus himself in John chapter 5, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He's the life giver, he's the source of life. And that's a good advert for dead people, isn't it? That's the kind of thing you want dead people to know. Here is life. Come to the fountain of life. Drink. Live again. But of course, it's a bit crazy to advertise to dead people because dead people can't hear you and they can't do anything about it. And that is what the Bible describes for the unbeliever. There's spiritually dead people who can't actually come to the fountain of life, the source of life. But God in his grace gives life to the dead, grants them life. Even though they can't cry out without his help, he stirs them up by his spirit and brings them to that point. So this news is big news. It's on a big scale, everlasting to everlasting. But it's also in the truest sense of the word. It's vital news. It's that big. It's vital. It's life-giving news. You, you, You want real life? You want abundant life? You want eternal life? You need to come to this Jesus. He's on such a grand scale, you might think he's distant, but, well, verse 2, have a look at verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, distant, distant, and was made manifest to us. It's come close. Manifest, it means uh, put on display, appeared, come down. He's talking about the, the incarnation, God in the flesh. Emmanuel, really with us. Now this is particularly important for the writer here because in this letter he's tackling some false teaching. Some 
false teachers, some lawyers have gone out to say that, well, the Christ, he's not physically real, not a real person. He didn't really come in the flesh. He's more spiritual than physical. And these false teachers want the people reading this letter to actually think differently. They want people to think about a higher spirituality that they can offer, a higher knowledge that they've got. Uh, 2 John 1 says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. But this writer insists, no, Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God. Yes, divine. Yes, on a bigger scale. Yes, eternal. But come in the flesh. We've seen, we've touched. The truth is that the everlasting one has appeared physically in history now this is dangerous stuff if you can keep god at a distance unknowable where you can't pin him down then you can say what you like about him you can make up ideas about him he's not concrete you can say i like to think of god as you heard that before i like to think of god as who can really contradict you if God is somewhere out there, somewhere unknowable, spiritual only? But if he appears physically, when this, this person speaks, commands, heals people, rises from the dead, exists on the earth, when he's physically there in the flesh, and he tells us what to do, well then that God, you can't argue about that, he's really there. You have to do what he says, and this becomes... Scary, this becomes dangerous. He becomes too real for people. God has come down. God has spoken. Jesus is God. You have to obey this Jesus. When he says divorce is wrong, when he says lust is adultery, when he calls us not to love money, when he commands us, follow me. That's dangerous stuff. So it's big news. The eternal one come down. The life giver appeared among us. You can't just come up with a philosophy or an invented way of living because he has spoken. He has been among us. This is big news, life-changing news. But it's also, secondly, real news. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life and verse 3 in a similar vein that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you now sadly in these days we're we're used to hearing about fake news crazy conspiracy theories false advertising i saw somewhere uh, a, a medical bed a med bed where you can get, and I quote, a dose of pure biophoton life force energy, providing vitality and more energy. And it's just made up. It's, it's crazy stuff. There's no evidence for this kind of thing, but it's all around us. Now, that's not so serious, but you get fake news about election results as well. It can become very serious, can't we? Can't it? But this writer says, this is real, because... We've met him. We know him. Verse 2 says we testify. It's kind of a courtroom word, isn't it? He's saying we're witnesses. We're not content creators. We're not imagineers. 
we're not philosophers or, 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 or writers. We're witnesses. We're just passing on the news. It's real news. We've looked upon him. We, we touched him. It was very real. We were there. Now, the writer of this letter is not actually part of the text. Normally, a letter would start in this way. Something like, John, a servant of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the churches of the dispersion, greetings. But that, that's not in the text. It's not there. That title there, the first letter of John, 1 John, um, is not necessarily part of the text. It would have been added by the early church. So how do we know who wrote this? Um, I'm going to say to you what the vast majority of commentators say, that this is written by John, one of the 12 disciples. How do we know that? Well, firstly, this writer says, we were there, we saw him, we touched him. So it's got to be someone who was actually there at the time, an eyewitness of Jesus' earthly ministry. Secondly, all the early Christian writers say this is John. All of them, all of the early church fathers And thirdly, and we've already seen this, there's a style that that matches the Gospel of John. The the opening, the prologue, the poetic style, it matches what we've got from the Gospel of John, which is by John. So as we read this and think, this is by an apostle, this is by someone who was actually there. And when he says we touched him and, uh, and heard him and we saw what was going on, we need to remember that apostolic eyewitness evidence he was there when the risen lord jesus said see my hands and my feet that it is i myself touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones bones as you see that i have he was there this is the same guy who was there to hear jesus say that to see the risen lord he could have joined with peter in declaring to peter one for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty Uh, we do a a book table in the market in Walthamstow uh, most weeks a couple of weeks back I met a woman who stopped deliberately to say something she knew we were were Christians uh, and she didn't stop to listen sadly but to, to tell me that everything I was saying or promoting was just a belief that's the way she put it, just a belief. No, she said more than that. She said it was a dangerous belief. Uh, something I, I believe, but wasn't solid or real, and a dangerous belief. But as I tried to explain to her, and this is one of the glorious things about Christianity, it isn't just made up. It isn't just a revelation received by one man in a cave. It isn't just a dreamt-up philosophy. It's founded on actual historical events. The crucifixion, the miracles, the resurrection, the ascension, things that really happened that people actually saw. Real news. Hundreds of people saw these things. People touched him. People spoke with him. They ate with him. They lived alongside him. We can trust what we read in God's word because it's eyewitness evidence. I wanted to quickly recommend a book to you. Um, This is by Peter J. Williams, and it's called Can We Trust the Gospels? And it's very helpful by a New Testament scholar. And one of the things he does in the book, he talks about the reliability of the Gospels. He points out how the, the four guys who wrote the four Gospels 
were entirely soaked in the culture and language and geography of the area that they were talking about. They weren't people writing from afar. They weren't people trying to make something up. They obviously lived there. They saw and touched and felt the whole atmosphere around them. He talks about how they refer to lots of different place names in the Gospels. Now, this might seem easy to us because, well, if we wanted to write a book about, say, somewhere in France, off we go to Google Maps, search on the internet, we can find out all sorts of things. In those days, they could not do that. If you knew place names in that particular place, that's because you lived there, because you actually were there, or you'd heard from people who'd seen what had gone on. And he contrasts the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, with other so-called Gospels, which were written actually 150, 200 years later, like the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Philip, these made-up Gospels. In those Gospels, they mention Jerusalem, that's the capital, you would. Judea, it's the name of the country. Uh, Nazareth, well, he's Jesus of Nazareth. And that's it. But if you read through the Gospels, they keep mentioning place after place after place. They mention bodies of water. They mention mountains. They mention distances. Because they were there. Because they, they were able to walk those streets or talk to people who had. These are reliable documents about what really happened. Yes, belief is involved, but not like that lady thought. She thought belief was something you just pluck out of the air. But the gospel, the the truth of Christianity is grounded on what actually happened. A foundation of real history. The Christ of faith is the Jesus of history. I, I find that such an encouragement. I, I find it real help to be reminded that this is reporting. It's not just religious writing, it's reporting, it's news, it's real news. That's what John is doing. He's saying, I'm passing on, I'm testifying to you. As a witness, this is real. We've seen, we've touched, we were there. The eternal has come down. It's big news. It's real news. And finally, it's good news. John tells us that. In verses 3 and 4. Have a look at the, uh, the so that in verse 3. Have a look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that, what's his reason for doing this, you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This, this big news, this real news, is good news because you can have fellowship with, with the apostles, with the Father himself, with the Jesus Christ himself. And he links this with joy. In verse 4, he gives us one of the reasons he's writing the letter. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John delights when people are in fellowship with God. John delights when people are therefore in fellowship with him. And that's the good news he wants us to know. We can have joyful fellowship with the Father and the Son and therefore with every other believer. What is fellowship? I heard one preacher call it two fellows on a ship. Uh, In that sense, they're together. They're going in the same direction. 
wherever the ship goes. Now, it's not a perfect illustration. Perhaps these two fellows on a ship could be bickering. Uh, But if they both wanted to go in the same direction, if they're joyfully travelling together, that's a bit more like fellowship. You can't have fellowship with someone if you want opposite things. You're going in different directions. If you have different aims, completely different values. So you can't have fellowship with God if you don't submit to him and go his way. Look at verse 6, just outside our reading. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You can't have fellowship with God if you're walking in darkness when he's the God of light. That doesn't make sense. You're not going in the same direction. That's not fellowship. But then when we do have fellowship with God, we find out we're on the same boat as other believers, going the same way. Wanting the same things, delighting in the same one, joint values and aims and joys. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's an automatic thing. Fellowship with God brings about fellowship with fellow believers. And there's a, a joy to this. Fellowship with God. This is good news. This is why he's proclaiming it. He's excited about telling people, you can have fellowship with the Lord. Sometimes people cringe when you say, well, we're going to talk about Jesus tonight. But actually, he's the best news you've ever heard. Rico Tice, Christianity Explored, he he puts it this way. If you do not think this is the best news you've ever heard, you haven't understood it. This is news about the best relationships possible. Now, we're sinners. We find relationships difficult so often. But there's something in us which longs for good relationships. It's built into us. You know, everything goes better. We have better mental health. We have more joy when we have good relationships with others. I don't know if you've seen it a long time ago, the film Cast Away with Tom Hanks. And he's truly alone. He's crash-landed on a desert island and others in the plane die. And he's on his own for for so long. He he, he takes a volleyball and draws a face on the volleyball and starts talking to it. He calls it Wilson. Wilson the volleyball. He has this need for a relationship. When he loses Wilson, he is devastated. Because we're built for a relationship. We're built for fellowship with others, with those who we hope will love us back. But who loves more than the living God? Fellowship with him is the best, the deepest relationship you can have. Here is joy. Here is love beyond what we've experienced. This is what we should desire. We're made for connecting with God himself. And this is why John is proclaiming the news, so that we might have that fellowship with the Father and with the Son, and therefore with one another. The good news is still dangerous news. That lady in the market was right. It is dangerous because it turns your life around. You get off your own ship with you as captain and you step aboard another ship with Jesus in charge. How dangerous is that? Someone else in charge, you might, you might lose your friends. You might be steered into stormy waters. You might be mocked by the world. But Jesus is the trustworthy captain. 
that fellowship, that being with him, that having a new family aboard too, that's good. That's rich. That's good news. John Piper put the good news this way. Christ came and made himself the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He offered his fellowship to any who would be willing to change their values and see things eye to eye with him. You can't have fellowship with Jesus if you don't trust his judgment. But if you do trust Jesus, you have fellowship not only with him, but also with God the Father. John says in 2.23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. Fellowship with God comes only through Jesus Christ his Son. The Apostle John, the eyewitness John, is writing this letter so that Christians will not be led astray. He is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is God come in the flesh. He is the one to trust. He does bring sweetest fellowship with himself, with the Father. He's the only one to trust. The only one who's good news, for he has life in himself. You know on BBC Radio, if they accidentally mention a particular product, I don't know, Adidas or Sellotape or or Lloyd's Bank, they often say other brands are available. They don't want to be accused of promoting a particular brand. But John says, Jesus is the one. I'll promote him. I'll proclaim him. I'll glorify him. The false teachers, they might tell you about uh, self-help or a higher knowledge or, or fake news, but their gospel is no gospel at all. Jesus is the one to trust. What John wants to say to believers here tonight is, keep trusting Jesus. Keep wanting more of Jesus. Keep, keep diving into the word of God, being amazed at the enormity of of who he is because it's big news it's real news it's good news let's want more of him more of him at midweek meetings more of him on on sundays at the services more of jesus as we read his word more of jesus as we read good christian books more learning about the one who they touched who they spoke with who they ate with who they heard so remember this evening if you're trusting jesus as lord You're in the right boat. You're in the right boat. You have fellowship with God. Sometimes it feels a little bit distant to us. Sometimes we're not doing so well. But it is the best fellowship you can have. A love from God that will not fail. And you're not on your own. There are others going in the same direction with you. In the boat with you. The apostles among them. We have fellowship with them too. You're in the right boat. Keep on with Jesus. Keep trusting this Jesus, the one who has life in himself, the word, the everlasting one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you want to know us. You want us to draw near to you. You've made that possible by sending your your beloved son, the righteous one, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Help us to keep going, Lord. Thank you that he is the one who has life in himself, who gives life to all who trust in him. Thank you that he is the one who enables us to draw near. And we can know you now and forevermore. Thank you for the, the bigness of this blessing. 
Help us to keep trusting you, trusting your son, in whose name we ask. Amen.